There's lots of new people. Good morning, by the way, and hi to you, and hi to you. If you're joining us online, great to have you with us as well. And we've got lots of new people showing up at Timberline at the moment, so I've not been around preaching for a few weeks, so I'm Pastor Jeff, as I always say, from Arkansas. Good to see you, <laughs> and a big welcome to you. A couple of things I need to mention uh, before we jump in this morning with our, our message uh, one is to let you know that the Bible notes that I write, uh, many of you are getting those, the April through June edition is now available um, in our cafe, and so those are available for you. And then also, let's just talk for a moment about giving. Thank you so much, Timberline family, for your faithfulness in giving, and thank you to all of you who have um, established your recurring giving in our in our new system. Thank you, thank you for doing that. If you haven't, reminder emails will be coming, so please watch for those. And thanks for journeying. It's pretty simple to get this set up, but we don't like change. This is a better system that we're going to use. But we, we, some of us just don't like change. How many, of you, how many of us are sitting in the chair that we normally... <laughs> Look, come on. Come forward right now. We sit in the same, it's the chair that Jesus gave us, isn't it? Yeah, it's our chair. How many of us never raise our hand, whatever the preacher asks? There's healing in the house. Look at that. All right. So, uh, thanks for going with that change. And if you give online and uh, you don't have recurring giving, please make note that the text phone number has changed. So, get that uh, into your phone. And our team is always ready to uh, help you with any questions that you might have. So we are in week two of a brand new series, Healthy Mind, God Help Us. And the God Help Us is not an irreverent exclamation. Rather, it's an affirmation that to have healthy minds, we really do need God's help. And the title for the message this weekend is, When the Journey is Too Much. And we're going to dive into an Old Testament story let me just give you some, give us some context. It's an old story, happened 2,800 years or so ago in Israel. There was a really evil king and queen that were ruling, and terrible things were happening in the nation, including child sacrifice, horrifying uh, the worship of false gods. And God raised up a man called Elijah, and there's a gunfight at the OK Corral, uh, if you like, a showdown on Mount Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven, and uh, he, he raises the dead. Uh, anyone raise the dead this week? Just think back. It'll be a week, Monday, Tuesday. Waking your teenage son up in the morning doesn't count, <laughs> although it almost takes as much faith, let's face it. And, uh, and here, is, here is Elijah, and he, he has this showdown, and the palace isn't pleased. They are not happy in the palace. Now, you know, I've told you, when I go back to England, I pop in and see Lizzie, and she's always, you know, so friendly, and, hey, Jeff, what's happening? Hey, Lizzie, good, you know, all that. Some of you are nudging each other again. Really? Really? No, I lied. Never met her. Palace is not happy with Elijah. And here's what happens. We read about it in 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab, that's the king, told Jezebel, that's the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, 
May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your orders, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then what happens is that God speaks to him and says, come out of the cave, I'm going to pass by. Some incredible things happen. There's a powerful wind, there's an earthquake, there's a blazing fire. But the Bible says, somewhat mysteriously, God was not in any of those things. And then God whispers to Elijah, asks him again, what are you doing here? Elijah repeats the same speech. God gives him a threefold strategy, go back the way you came. During our worship this weekend, I was thinking about some of the songs we used to sing back when I first became a Christian. And we sang some great hymns back then, but we also sang some ridiculous choruses as well that gave the impression that we all lived on the edge of ecstasy all of the time. I mean the emotion, not the drug, just to be clear. Um, I've talked about this before. Um, we sang, I am H-A-P-P-Y. I am H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. I am H-A-P-P-Y. What a great theological classic that was. Another one of my personal favorites, not, was, it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. No, it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. If you pack up all your troubles, then they'll vanish like a bubble if you only take the trouble. Just to S-M-I-L-E. Enough to make you V-O-M-I-T. <laughs> Elijah isn't doing any smiling. He is not happy. And this is the guy that announced a national drought, as I've said, Mount Carmel, all of that. And now he's got an email, well, a messenger, and it's from the palace, and it's from Jezebel, the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. The New Bible Dictionary describes Jezebel in an article written by a British chap, gifted in the art of understatement, he said, and Jezebel was a forceful and domineering personality. <laughs> that is an understatement. She was a nasty piece of work. He gets the message. He is utterly depressed. And that's what we're talking about this weekend. And it is a conversation. It is a conversation. Pastor Darry said last week, and he's quite right, this is not going to be a try-harder message and we have to just begin a conversation because this is a very complex subject. So, 
Don't come up to me or write in and say, well, you didn't mention this, we didn't mention that, because I, I can't cover the whole range of what depression is simply in the next two hours of this message. <laughs> Fear did descend. You see, as the physical pandemic seems to be losing its lethal punch, there's a more lasting pandemic raging of anxiety and depression. Before the pandemic, the World Health Organization said that it's estimated that one in five in America will experience serious depression sometime during their life. As a result of the pandemic, the numbers have changed. It's one in three. And we just feel like we're starting to get through that thing. And then, of course, the tragedy of Ukraine unfolds and the devastation and the heartbreak and the death and the, the death of Ukrainians, of innocent Russian soldiers. It's, it's just horrendous. And being back in England recently, it feels closer there because it's closer. As the, clo the crow flies, the distance between London and Kiev, Ukraine, is the same as the distance between Fort Collins and Brownsville, Texas. It's close. And there is a lot of what clinicians describe as normal sadness. It's appropriate and reasonable and normal that we should feel sad. We don't have our heads in the sand. We live in a fallen and broken world, and that includes disappointment and loss and pain. But then there's depression, and sometimes the borderline between sadness and depression can be difficult to define. I've shared before, not for sympathy, not for sympathy, but for empathy, to let you know that I'm a fellow traveler, that I have had my battles with depression. I spent a year in clinical depression, and I, I know some of why that was. I, I like to please, and if you're a pastor, you don't always please everybody. And um, I don't say this as a strength, I say this perhaps as a weakness. I'm pretty sensitive, and it, things matter to me. And I know what it is to have panic attacks and insecurity and live with perfectionism and not do, do well with when I mess it up. J.B. Phillips, the great translator, Bible translator, talked about how he served the false God of the 100%, the God who was never satisfied, and that contributed to his depression. And I know for me, there's probably some genetics involved. My mother battling depression throughout her life. I've got one sibling, my brother, he lives in Thailand, battled depression. The word for depression is an interesting word. The Hebrew word translated as downcast is shahak which means to be bowed down, it weighs heavy. The actual word comes from a medieval Latin verb, deprimere, to press down, it, to depress. It's a low mood, perhaps, nearly every day. A loss of motivation and pleasure, that which we used to enjoy no longer brings us joy. A, a sense of meaninglessness can come, a loss of energy, difficulty focusing or thinking problems sleeping, sometimes a changing eating patterns, eating too much, eating too little, new physical ailments 
appearing in our bodies as a result. Headaches, backaches, neck pains, joint pain, fatigue, TMJ issues. My friend Jim Clark in a brief conversation this morning told me that depression can be anger turned inward. And certainly that's true in Elijah's case. He's angry. He's angry with life. He's angry with God. So, so what can we learn from this story? If you're following in the bulletin, here's the first thing. First of all, the Bible addresses the reality of depression. It's Elijah who's saying, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And when you study Scripture, you realize that some of the greatest biblical heroes walked the pathway of depression, whether it's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who cursed the day that he was born. Whether it's Jonah stomping out of revival town, whether it's the psalmist who frequently says, why, how long, where have you gone? Whether it's the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who spoke about the sentence of death in his heart. If it's, whether it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, overwhelmed with sorrow, we see that Believers are not exempt. Madeline Lengel says, Those who believe, they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God Himself. If you are a believer and you battle this, don't count yourself out, count yourself in. We're not immune and at times of depression, some of my friends, historically, have not been that helpful. They were previously employed by Job. <laughs> well, we hear that you're depressed. Yeah. Well, what can we do to sort you out? And I was tempted to say, well, how about going away forever? That would be a cracking good start. And that would have been rude. Or someone said, get over it. Get over it. And I said, thank you. Thank you. I didn't realize I could just get over it until you just said that. Count yourself in. Secondly, when we're low, we feel powerless. We feel powerless. I am no better than my ancestors, Elijah says. You see, depression asks tormenting questions. Why? Why do I feel like this? Psalm 42. Why am I, why is, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why? And then it goes on. Where? Where have you gone, God? And Elijah was used to being in control. Um, my wife Kay is back in England at the moment, so I am home alone creating some of the worst cooking. In the, I'm working on a new recipe book called Food to Make You Gag. It is going to be exciting. And Friday night, I just wanted to relax. I think it was Friday. I can't remember. But I just wanted to relax. And I was looking for the remote control of the TV. Do you know that those remote controls can be demon-possessed? They transport themselves. They hide under the couch. All part of a great conspiracy. And I finally found the remote, 
and I, I pressed it and nothing happened. So you do the old twisty, twisty battery thing. How many identify? Boy, we are technical, aren't we? And I punched the remote and it was great. The TV came on. Elijah had a remote control faith. We need a drought. You got it. We need oil to be multiplied. Click. We need a dead boy to be raised. Okay, then. We need fire from heaven. Radio. We have got a message from the palace. And he couldn't control it. We feel powerless. And then thirdly, fear nudges us into confusion. Look at this. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and then he prayed that he might die. How many know that's kind of ridiculous? You run for your life, you pray for death. And Jezebel, she knew how to scare. She sent a messenger rather than an assassin. She could have just killed him. Why? Because fear can be more devastating, not really than death, but you get my point. She wanted to terrify him. She would have used, historians tell us, she would have used a self-imprecatory oath, which went like this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow you are not dead like one of those bell prophets. Fear got him. Last week, our grandsons, Stanley and Alex, came to Colorado. If Stanley's 13, I try not to talk about my grandkids too much because we grandparents, we are obsessed. We are obsessed with our grandkids. They glow in the dark, baby. <laughs> I've got 14,000 pictures on my phone. Join me later for a thrilling time. <laughs> Stanley is his 13th birthday and we wanted to celebrate him becoming a, a teenager. And uh, so we said, Stanley, what do you want to do? He said, Grandma, granddad, I want to come to Colorado. I want to go skiing. And I'm thinking, all right, I need to get a mortgage. <laughs> and we went to A Basin, which is like a third of the price of Breckenridge. Just a little hint. That sounded like a word from our sponsor, didn't it? <laughs> it's not. And uh, yes, in a couple of days, they are just amazing, these kids. They have no fear. I do. And we went to the top of the mountain, and I can do greens and blues, but not blacks. No, 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 no. But we got lost, and we find ourselves on a blue-black slope. And I say, Jeffrey, you can do this. What foolishness. <laughs> foolishness. I go screaming down the hill. And I, 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 I got faster and faster, and I panicked, and I verily did fly. And I landed on my rib. I think I might have cracked my rib or something, but it might be like man flu. I don't know. Maybe I just got a bruise. And I landed, and I shouted something. It was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Do you know why I fell? Fear. I'm like, I'm going 90 miles an hour. No, I was probably doing nine but it was my perspective. The French novelist Anne Nin said, we do not see things as they are, but as we are. And we see life through that lens, a lens depression can say to us, no one cares about you, you're a failure. 
you're trapped. It's your fault. There's no hope. God doesn't care. Fear got in, twisting perspective. Feelings are real, but they lie. Fourthly, we descend into isolation. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, Elijah left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. You know what I discovered? When you're depressed, you don't have the emotional energy sometimes to engage with people. You're like, eh. Particularly people who whenever you tell them your stuff, they always turn it around to talk about their stuff. You met people like that? You say, I've just gone through. And they go, oh, that happened to me. And for the next 20 minutes, you get a seminar. And at the end of the 20-minute seminar about them, they say, enough about me. What do you think about me? (laughs) And I'm grateful for friends, some of whom are sitting in this auditorium. You know who you are. You genuinely care and listen. We can descend into isolation. I always spend Saturday, like yesterday, finishing off the message for the weekend. And I was sitting in my study yesterday, and I suddenly heard this noise outside. And I thought, why is that? And we've been talking about this week as a pastoral team. We've been talking about God speaking to us through nature. We're going to be looking at that later this year. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. And he told lots of Stories about fields and God speaking to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. We've been talking about that. And I'm hearing this noise. I'm, I'm finishing this message that I'm sharing now with you. And I hear this noise outside. So I, I felt a little nudge, you know, just go out and listen. And I went out and I, I listened and it was a, a coyote. How many pronounce that word coyote like coyote? How many pronounce it? Coyote, you're both right, I've checked, it's okay. (laughs) Coyotes, coyotes, whatever, they are highly social. They mate for life and they have families. They interact including playing with each other, but sometimes they disperse one of their pack and that pack is left alone and they become bored and restless and lonely. Here is what, I took my phone outside Here's what I heard. You see, he or she is calling for the pack. What does your cry of loneliness sound like? And I had to spend a couple of hours finishing this message, listening to a cry of loneliness outside. And you know what it did for me? It it said this to me. This is not, don't, don't just think this is about presenting a message. It kept coming back to me that there are people, 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 you. And there's a cry in your life. Do you know what? Is there a cry that you're giving out, a cry for help? Do you recognize the cry of a loved one or a neighbor? Jesus went to Gethsemane, and he wanted not only the Father's help, but he took his closest friends with him. 
Have we begun to withdraw? Let's recognize that. Number five, we neglect self-care. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around. There by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel doesn't say, look, you don't have enough faith and you need to pray more. You need breakfast. You need good sleep. The journey's too much. A friend of Kay and mine, we had dinner a few weeks ago and we had one of those fairly in-depth conversations and she said, Jeff, self-care is not selfish. Seems like God cares more for Elijah than Elijah cares for himself. Are some of us so busy taking care of others that we've forgotten some of the basics of self-care? Number six, we experience mind lock. Mind lock. He replied, God asked him twice, what are you doing there? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant. No, they haven't. They just renewed it on Mount Carmel. Broken down your altars. No, they haven't. They just renewed an altar at Mount Carmel. Put your prophets to death with the sword. It was the Baal prophets that were killed. I'm the only one left. Wrong. There are 7,000 in Israel. Now they're trying to kill me too. And here's what can happen. We get into circles of thinking. And we pursue the same mental trail over and over and over. And it feels like the Lord is trying to break Elijah out from that, asking him to express what's on his heart. What are our repeated mind journeys? And then number seven, God knows us and wants to meet us where we are. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And God meets us in different ways. Now, the first way God met Elijah was, was the breakfast. And a, a breakfast cooking angel. Can you imagine that? God saying to the angel Fred or someone, Go forth with Wheaty Flakes. Actually, it was bread and stuff, but... And then Elijah travels for six weeks. Yesterday, I spent a lot, quite a lot of time saying to God, how come you, you sent an angel to cook him breakfast, but you didn't talk to him for six weeks? How come? And the answer is this. I have no clue. I don't know. But God did whisper... And in breakfast and in whispers, he met Elijah. The fire and the earthquake and the wind thing, that's kind of weird. Because that all happened. Then it says God wasn't in them. This is speculation. I'm wondering whether God was trying to wean Elijah off of the spectacular and graduate him to the whisper. It's a question. All right, so let's wrap this up with some final reflections. First of all, let's know that not everything has a spiritual root. Sometimes we Christians get low and we think Satan is camping in the bathroom. I'm always easy on myself when I've got jet lag. I know I'm going to feel low for a couple of days. See, that doesn't sound like faith. Well, it's just a fact. I've sat on a plane for nine hours with my legs wrapped around my neck trying to discover whether the chicken was beef or the beef was chicken. 
Not everything has a spiritual root. Be intentional about self-care. Resources. Reflections. If your physician says you need medication, take it. You say, Pastor Jeff, did you? Yeah. Helped. A lot. Some Christians say, oh, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't take those pills. Really? If I broke my arm, I'd put it in a sling pretty quick. Take baby steps. God said to Elijah, before he sent him back the way he came, he said, come out of the cave. Take a few steps here. Might be thinking about exercise or uh, the diet that we have. Take baby steps. And then finally this. Know that there will be other more beautiful mountains. See, God gave Elijah three commands when he sent him back. He said, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Why? Well, Haziel would be the agent of judgment to get rid of Ahab and Jezebel. He said, anoint Jehu king over Israel. Why? Well, Israel would need a new king once Ahab and Jezebel were gone. Strategy number three, anoint Elisha as prophet. Why? Elijah needed a friend and a successor. So did Elijah obey? Yes and no and no. He never did anoint Hazel, so 13 terrible years were wasted in Israel. And he never did anoint Jehu. Both Hazel and Jehu were anointed by Elisha after Elijah had gone. He did anoint Elisha. In other words, and I want to make a clear distinction here. Please notice this. Elijah battled a depression that was not sin or disobedience. And he also was partial in his obedience. He didn't get it all right. So glad the Bible doesn't airbrush its heroes. But there was another mountain to come. There was the mountain, the cave of despair. But then look at this. We fast forward to just before Jesus went to the cross. And Elijah's been long in heaven. His story was 800 years earlier. And we read, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There's another mountain. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. What a beautiful picture of the graciousness and the kindness of our God. who whispered tenderly, tenderly and caringly to his broken friend and servant, child. I feel like I hear a little whisper in my own heart, call me crazy if you want. I hear a little whisper in my heart that says, Reminded of that Bible verse, speak tenderly to my people. Hear this not as a, you've got to do this message. But I hope and pray with the help of the Holy Spirit, a reflection 
of the tenderness of our God who is the glory and the lifter up of our heads. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the epitome of beauty and kindness, mercy and grace. You know your people. You know us. You know the joys and the celebrations and the shadowlands and the struggles. So would you take the seed of your word today and let it bring good fruit into our lives. I invite us, just in the quietness, to frame a one-sentence prayer to the Lord. Whatever you'd like to say. If you're not a Christian, and this could be the moment where you say, Jesus, save me, rescue me, take charge of my life. That might be the sentence. For others, another sentence. Just whisper in, in your heart. Say to Him what you would like to say to Him. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, we're here to help you. Come and talk to us about that. We can help you with that magnificent choice. So we thank you for your presence, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.